please arise for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from Psalm 90, verse 1 through 4, and verse 12 through 17. I'll be reading in Danish. The English text will be on the screen as I read. Herre, du er vores tilflugt. Du har hjulpet os fra slægt til slægt. Du var til, før bjergene blev skabt. Du levede, før jorden blev dannet. Din eksistens har ingen begyndelse og kommer aldrig til en afslutning. Men menneskers liv for ende. På din befaling bliver de til støv. Tusinde år er for dig, som en enkelt dag er for os. Den var nogle timer, og så er den forbi. Hjælp os til at huske, at livet er kort, så vi kan vokse i visdom. Å Herre, se i noget til os. Hvor længe skal vi lide under din straf? Vær barmhjertige imod dit eget folk. Mæt os hver morgen med din kærlighed, så vi oplever glæde dag efter dag. Vi har været ulykkelige i umindelige tider. Giv os nu lige så mange lykkelige år. Lad dit folk igen opleve din undre. Lad vores børn få din herlighed at se. Vis os din nåde, Herre, vor Gud. Giv os gode tider og fremgang. This is God's word. Good morning. Uh, I'm Jason Anderson. I'm the pastoral resident here. Uh, let's, the kids can be dismissed at this point. And just so that you have hope through this hot place. It's actually cooler up here than in the pews. Uh, there, there may be cold brew coffee that Brian made after the whole service is done. Maybe not before, but after the last bell, or whatever we do here to finish it off, there will be cold brew. So instead of a benediction, we'll have a benediction offering in the back where the hot coffee has been. So that's all not part of my sermon. We're trying to keep a, the, everything a little bit shorter just because it, it's so hot. Uh, so let's pray, and then we'll get into Psalm 890. Father, this morning we ask that you'd open up your word to us. We thank you that you are our dwelling place, and we pray that you would give us wisdom to understand what that means in the day-to-day, in both what we do, but also how we think and feel. We pray that you would be at work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning... Psalm 90, we have three movements that we're going to be looking at, thinking about God being our home. So the first, we'll see just in the first two verses of Psalm 90, that God is our place of eternal rest. Not even just in the future, it's even right now we can experience a certain kind of rest in God. Second, Moses invites us to sing about our temporary lives. These psalms are songs for the church and the people of God to sing. So he says, why don't you sing about how short your life is? So we're going to think about that. And third, we'll find that our only hope in the end of the psalm, verses 13 to 17, is in God turning to us. God turning and saving us. So that's the movement. 
It's a drama in this song that we are going to look at. So first, verses 1 to 2. This is our, God is our place of eternal rest. As the song of Moses, that's the heading at the beginning, a prayer of Moses, he points us and he reminds us, look, I'm writing this song when, when I'm thinking about the desert. I lived for 40 years in the desert. I lived with the Israelites for 40 years, wandering, intense. Now, I don't know about you, I've gone camping, I've gone camping in a desert. I've gone camping in Minnesota. The desert's better, by the way. There's no mosquitoes, at least where I went. But usually I have the worst sleep of my life. I don't know about you. And even this most recent camping trip that we just went to, I said, I said I'm going to fix my sleep problem, my rest problem. I'm going to spend lots of money at a mattress, an air mattress. Of course, couldn't do anything. I still did not sleep well. So thinking about your camping experience, and you can think, okay, what is life in the wilderness like? And then what is life in the wilderness like for Israel? What was it like? If we read through the whole Old Testament, we, we, we see that it was a hard place to live. It's not just an easy place. It's not a place of physical rest. It's important because life in the wilderness was meant to be teaching Israel that the only place that you can find rest is in God Himself, not in the physical circumstances that you're stuck in. Look, I'm going to give you bread from heaven, manna. Look, I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you water. God is going to provide so that you can see He is the ultimate provider. So before they ever entered the promised land flowing with milk and honey, which is this image of lushness of God providing milk flowing and honey flowing, right? They have to learn that God is their all-eternal, all-sufficient, gracious God. He was their home. Now, as we think about places being home, we know that it takes a long time. I know when we moved to Kentucky, we lived there for three and a half years. It's kind of hard. I, remember, I might have cried a tear, which does not happen. It did, maybe. Right? Amy cried more tears than me. Uh, which happens more, right? But right, it was, it was a hard experience to, to make a new place your home. Maybe you know the feeling too. You moved from this place to that, that place. My sister moved from Midway to Wisconsin somewhere. Wisconsin, how can you make that feel like home? I don't know. It was hard. Maybe you know the feeling too though. You've moved to a new place and you don't feel at home. Or maybe circumstances have changed, even where you have been forever, and it doesn't feel like home. You've become a widow or widower. You've lost this or that essential thing, and now you feel like I'm not at home. The truth of Psalm 90 is this, and it's more realized even in the New Testament. We can be at rest in God today no matter the circumstances that we face. In Christ, Hebrews says, we have come to the city of the living God and that's something today, not something in the future. Of course, it's more fully seen in the future, but we can taste it today. Moses says in the same sort of way in verse 1 of Psalm 90, we, 
God is our eternal dwelling place. Even though we're here on earth, struggling in this home, He's our truer home. Moses knows what this looks like. God's presence is with His people. Moses saw this pillar of cloud and fire and it was majestic and holy and wow. He saw the burning bush that didn't burn up, but there was fire in God's presence and he took off his sandals. He saw the backside of God at, Mo, of God at, Mo, uh, at Sinai. He knew God as his dwelling place more than almost anybody else in that desolate and hard place. And Israel did too. And here's the thing. This is the truth that has been for the people of God from all generations. In every generation, he says. So from Adam to Noah to Moses to now. Because God is spirit, he's not stuck in a, in a place. That's what's part of, partly what spirit means. God, God's not physical. That means he's, he can be everywhere. He is everywhere. We can find our home in him, no matter where we are, even if we are homeless. Now this is a truth. This should poke us at a few different sides. At least two that came to my mind is one that says, well, this has been my home forever. You know, I, I tell people, and I've always imagined, I'm going to die in the home I'm in. Whether it was the one we lived in in South Minneapolis, not, not the one in Kentucky, but the one in South Minneapolis or the one up in Northeast. I'm going to die here. And so that the next owners of this house know that the person died in this room, right? We want to stay put and this is our place forever. We have this thing in our hearts, at least I do. Well, Psalm 90 says, look, this isn't your final destination. This isn't your true and final home. No matter how much you've worked, you've put into your old house, no matter how much you've invested in loving in this place, loving this place that you live in, the city you live in, it's ultimately a temporary dwelling. And we see that in all the houses that have disappeared from centuries ago. Now on the other side, it pokes us as we look out at the world around us and even at our own selves, we sense this place of spiritual homelessness. Everywhere we look, people embody this spiritual homelessness. There's anxiety, loneliness. I have a neighbor that sometimes says, aren't you just bored? Competition, trying to get ahead so that you, you get the best piece of the pie. There's depression, sometimes fear, anger. All of us can live without the conviction and the rest that, that comes from knowing Yahweh is and can be our home. It re but knowing that God is our home can and ought to slowly release the pressure that we put on ourselves to somehow perform perfectly, to, to somehow get everything all right that drives often that depression and anxiety. Knowing that God is our home gives us ease in the difficulty now. And the Gospel answers the problem, the trials for the, in the world. 
Through Christ, we can live with hope. Through Christ, we have a home so we don't have to live with this anxiety and bully people with our needs. Found our hope is in the eternal God. Okay, that's number one. God's our home. Number two, if God's our eternal home, we got to remember who we are. We're temporal. We're, we're limited people. You see that there's this disconnect. It's curious as we look around the world. We're, we're just limited things. One day, we're just going to get buried. You know, we drive past cemeteries all the time. We might say God's our eternal home, but what, what, ha- what about all this stuff around us? Somehow or another, something in your house breaks. And you're like, man, everything. I just put this in and it broke. 20 years later. We feel, feel oppressed by our overburdening responsibilities. Death lingers on the horizon for each one of us. Okay, we say He's our eternal home, but somehow... On the flip side, we, we almost we live as, as though we're going to live forever and we're going to live and last as in our own power. I mean, nobody, very few of us imagine our lives could ever end today without our saying so. My sister-in-law was saying, yeah, there's been this rise in obituaries of people saying, died unexpectedly. We don't expect death to come. We have this difficulty of not living a life of resting in God's eternality. We just rely on our own eternal nature that's not going to save us from anything. We want to fight for our own individual eternality and eternity as though our name and life is not going to come to an end. Don't you feel that? It's like, my name's going to last forever. I mean, I kind of feel like my name is going to be forever and great and everyone's going to know it even after I die. But you look back 100 years and you don't know anybody. You don't even know who the president was 100 years ago. Some of you might, but most of us don't. Maybe. What happened? How is it that this is our imagination that we're eternal? As though death at least isn't going to catch us. You know, it's interesting, I officiated a funeral a few years ago, 2018, of a member, and she died, and the family's like, yeah, it just happened so soon. She was 99 years old. She was almost 100. We had gone to her 99th birthday. But it's too soon. It's always too soon. Death is not the way it ought to be. And Moses, he reminds us of our limited time. That's the whole of the center of the psalm. We're just dust, he says. When he says we're just dust, he's reminding us of Genesis chapter 2. God forms man out of dust. And why do we have any life at all? Because he breathes life into that dust. What a glorious image. God's breath giving us life. And just think Moses is putting these words in the faithful. He calls us to sing. We're dust. And because of Adam, we're going to return to dust. 
Paul says, sin and death have spread to all humanity. There's not a single human you know that has avoided death. We're not going to avoid it either. It's one of the most astonishing facts of life. We have such a variety of experiences. We can pick whatever thing we want, whatever flavor of life we want, but death doesn't discriminate. No matter what kind of specialty water you drink, no matter how alkaline or acidic or whatever, death limits you. But in the psalm, as much as we sing about that, he says, look, you can find something different in God's eternity. Yeah, we're like grass, he says. Moses, he's talking about grass in the desert, not in the golf course. It's a picture of grass popping up in February. I think it's beautiful if you ever go to a desert when it does pop up. And then it just disappears. Quickly shrivels away. He draws this image to a point. It's a point we often forget. Life is so short, and why is it so short? Why is it 80 or 70 years? Because of God's anger. Psalm verse uh, 7, we're brought to an end by your anger. Moses reminds us a single offense against a holy God means that we shrivel like grass. And in the scope of eternity, we literally do. 70 years is like is shriveling like grass. Moses says it's impossible, essentially he's saying it's impossible to overestimate divine majesty. It displays both his goodness, which is where he started. It's like you can find your home in God, but also his divine justice. Look, God's going to make things right. Even if the world, even if our governments can't make it all perfectly right, God will finish it. Paul says, Adam, Adam's death spread to all, and sin spread to all humanity. So we're all inherited this, this weight of sin and death. We, we inherited this propensity to death. Our temporary nature is a consequence of sin. We long for that eternity, but we sense this limited temporariness. Moses is not shying away from this. We ought not to shy away from this. Talking to somebody yesterday, it's like, yeah, as a kid, you just don't go to funerals much. And I think that's, that's unfortunate in some ways because we forget, it makes us, we, we, we neglect this temporary nature that we are ex- exhibit, uh, we're living in. And if Moses is writing at the end of his life, he's got to be considering all his friends and family that he's buried. I know those of us who are older, not, I'm not actually at, at that age yet, but mo- many who are older have experienced this where so many friends and family have been buried. We know that weight of death. Moses knew it. He suffered this wrath of God. We are slowly suffering too. Look at verse 10. We're just going to live 70, maybe 80 years. Their span is but toil and trouble, and then we're gone. We forget this. I love this quote from Augustine. I just read it this week. It fits great. He he says it this way. and He's a guy from the 400s, 300s, 400s. He says, in a word, now your innards may breed tapeworms. 
Now, any, next, any kind of disease might attack you. Finally, however long you may be spared old age, comes along eventually. And there's nowhere to shunt it off to. Nowhere to put off old age and death to. What's, what's our response? Moses, I think the initial application is verse 12. Teach us to number our days. It's easy just to live day to day, self pursuing self selfish pleasures, just doing the next thing that gets me along. He says, No, teach me to number my days how I ought to, that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, I think our first step is to learn from God what He thinks how we ought to live, how we were created to live. I wonder if He's pointing to how He taught Israel to live. Six days of work, one day of worship, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest and worship. Making each day count and live according to how God made us. So we plead with God, teach us. Help us number our days. Help us know how to live with and understand the importance of how we spend our days. We live out those biblical rhythms of work and rest. I think even in the spiritual realm, repentance, turning from sin, faith in Christ, forgiving others. Our final turn is begins in verse 13. Our only hope is, is not, yeah, we've got to learn to number our days, but we also need God to return to us. We need Him to dwell among us. Verse 13, return, O Lord. The wilderness generation, as much as they'd seen the glory of God, went from one false Savior to another, from the golden calf to rejecting Moses to wanting to go and get some garlic and leeks. Got leeks in my garden. I don't really care that much about them, but we got them. As they rebelled against God, they showed how the heart of every person is deceitful. Even Israel, who saw God descend on Sinai, went somewhere else. They rejected the gracious and glorious hand that fed them. We're not only short-lived, but we're relationally destructive, selfish people struggling to love others and God. Like that wilderness generation we see today in the small brother and sister, get in a fight, never talk. Churches split over silly things. In the national level, there's political rivalries. In the international level, country fights against country. Russia fights a war with Ukraine. On every level of human existence, we cry out, how long How long, verse 13, return, have pity on us, have compassion on us. Where's God's compassion shown but in His steadfast covenant love? Sure, there is God's anger poured out against sin, but He also provides the right consequence. He, He also promised that there would be a way of salvation from that sin. How is man satisfied unless his sins are dealt with? How how can he have satisfaction? Verse 14. Unless the wicked thoughts 
that I have, that you have, are forgiven. And the only place of forgiveness we see in scriptures are through God's pouring out of wrath, through the death of a sacrificial servant. We see in the New Testament because Jesus endured that wrath of God for our sin. We can be satisfied. We can have life. We can have this home in God. For those who cry out and plead for mercy, He is happy to save. He is happy to release us and promises that those who put their faith in Jesus can have their home in God now and also anticipate this day when we will be raised from the dead, when we will have life eternal with God. And not, not only that, one of the images that we see in the New Testament is that God makes His home with us. God sends His Spirit to dwell in His church. In Christ, we can plead, satisfy us in the morning. Make us glad for as many days as You've afflicted us. In other words, we look past our momentary afflictions and we anticipate the weight of glory that, that will surpass anything we can imagine. Just remember Moses. He sat in the... He, he received the law from God. He sat in His very presence and He carried that glory out and it shone. Can you imagine sitting in the presence of God in His glory eternally? Finally, in verses 16 and 17, this last section, He highlights our last hope. We long to see the work of God not only in the future, but in the here and now. Let your work be shown to your servants now. Now that Israelite generation had seen a lot of work of God. The early church had seen a lot of the work of God. And we too see the work of God here and now. As He makes spiritually dead people come alive to find their home in God. Yes, we, we long for God even to show His work today. And in response, we ask that He would establish the work of our hands. He calls each of us to faith, to believe in the eternal God, to make your home in Him. This is our only hope for lasting freedom. So that you know that your work is meaningful. It's meaningful because it is in God who is establishing that work. We had a friend we met, met with and he, uh, we were having dinner with the family and he was talking about, well, he grew up with a pastor as his dad. And he thought, well, you know, full-time ministry is really how, this is really the meaningful work. It's really easy to think the pastor is, is the most spiritual of us. Not necessarily true, by the way. But then now, you know, he's learned that no missionary, being a missionary is not the only place where God can establish his work. God can establish his work where he installs and refinishes hardwood floors. He can find his rest in God doing this crafty trade. We too can find our rest in our labor. As we rest in God, 
whether we're doing our work out in the world or whether we're just cleaning our toilet. God has called each of us to our current labor. And He, through Him, He can establish our work. I love this image as we close. Repentance and faith come first. Turning from that sin and faith in Christ come first. And then this faith in Christ buoys what we do in life. As we find our home in God, He establishes our work and gives it enduring eternal significance. And this, I think, is what we call Christian freedom. We rejoice in our work as we labor under the Lord's gracious hand. Let's pray. Our Father, today, as we finish, we pray that You would establish the work of our hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.